Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain podcast with Social Audi. That's me, Carol Jean. Welcome to the show. And if you're new, I am so excited you're here. I am so excited you have come across this podcast. You have stumbled across the YouTube channel and you could be watching the video conversation with my very special, wonderful guest from across the globe, Sophie Longley, coming to us in the UK via Singapore. Hello, Sophie. So glad you're joining us. I'm so excited for this. I'm really excited. So Sophie, (laughs) I'm going to share with everybody how we met because I think it's so cool. Sophie found the podcast where she is in Singapore, sent me this very sweet, very lovely email. And I thought I have to meet this person. She sounds so fun. And we set up a Zoom call a couple weeks ago, and it's just been love ever since. See, I'm just racking up the ooey gooeys this month. (laughs) You are every single podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's the love fest. (laughs) I am so excited you are joining us today. And I am so excited to share your incredible story and your journey and how you ended up in Singapore from the Yeah, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So Sophie, share with us your autism story, your autism journey. How did you get here? How old were you? How did you get here? <laughs> okay, it's a bit of a long story. So, <laughs> um, so I was actually diagnosed just last month um, at 28, um, but I had an inkling since my teens that my brain worked a little bit differently to everyone else's. Um, so I suffered and I still suffer from anxiety. Um, So I just thought that I was just an anxious child who grew into an anxious adult and any problems that I had with friendships or work colleagues or bullying, I thought it just stemmed from anxiety and it was all my fault. I didn't even think that it was autism at all. Um, So I sought out a diagnosis quite recently because my anxiety worsened. Um, particularly because my current job as a teacher and looking after screaming kids (laughs) for five days a week um, led me to quite a major burnout and um, myself and my partner also noticed lots of sensory triggers as well that I was experiencing so being sensitive to loud noises um, wanting to lock myself in a room in the dark in complete silence and this just got worse um, as I got more and more burnt out so At the same time, um, coincidentally, I came across a book in the library by um, Janera Nuremberg. I'm not quite sure if you've heard of her, but she writes the book, yeah, The Divergent Mind, Thriving in a World (laughs) That Wasn't Designed for You. And I just picked it up because my special interest is psychology. And I just thought, you know, this looks interesting. I'll give it a go. And um, I was reading it and came across the term neurodiversity. And I felt like I related to most of the stuff that was in the book. And then as I read on, there was a chapter on female autism and I read it and I just burst into tears because finally there was someone (laughs) writing about my experience and I wasn't an alien. It was true. And there were people like me in the world and I just, I, I couldn't believe it. So Um, And it also kind of validated the trauma that I experienced at school and in the workplace 
um, as well. So I put the book down and then my inner psychologist just came out and I wanted to research everything about autism. And I spent about three hours on Google just <laughs> researching away all of the traits and I ticked all the boxes. Um, but there were two things that actually stood out for me. Um, so the first one was that uh, uh, female autistic adults are more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety or another mental health issue before they're even diagnosed with autism. And in my 20s, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So I was like, yep, that's me. And then the other part was that uh, female autistics, we find it quite hard with employment and we, change, we tend to change jobs quite frequently. And I think since I graduated, I've had about six or seven jobs and I, I found it just really hard to hold down um, a job. And I will talk about more about that later, but those two kind of traits spurred me on to seek out a diagnosis. Um, and obviously at the time I was in Singapore and I had no idea how to navigate the private healthcare system of Singapore to try and get a diagnosis because obviously I'm from the UK and I, I was familiar with the free national health service and being able to get a diagnosis for free and suddenly I was in a foreign country not really knowing how to get a diagnosis so um, How did that come about, Sophie? I think that is yeah. a really interesting thing because so many people are trying to navigate systems and trying mm. to figure out how to go through that process. What was your mm. experience and sort of what did you find? Well, I powered through and I contacted just a couple of uh, psychiatrists from Google uh, who are based in Singapore. And um, all of them said that adults don't have autism. So we cannot test you. Um, I actually called up and one of them thought I was a parent calling on behalf of my autistic child because they were confused as to why I wanted a test. Um, there were also um, psychiatrists and psychologists who openly said, I'm not trained to diagnose adults. So sorry, can't help you. And the last thing was that my health insurance didn't even cover autism diagnosis. So I was just at a point where I was so eager to do the work and then it was a big block. And then no one was there to help And nobody you. was there, but luckily. <laughs> starting line, would somebody fire there. the gun so I can go, please? And, and by that time, I convinced myself that I was autistic, you know, and I just needed that validation. But luckily I found um, uh, an Irish psychologist who was trained in the UK based in Singapore. So he oh actually, yeah fortunate was that I know and luckily he actually specialized in diagnosing um, autistic adults and um, on the phone he said I'm aware of how females present autism anyway so try sort not of to put that worry to bed early yeah, yeah yeah and about the masking and stuff because I'm pretty good at masking so I was worried about going in there and convincing him that I was neurotypical so um the actual diagnosis was not too bad. It went quite smoothly. And um, he gave the two tests. So the EQ test for empathy and the, the ADOS test. Um, but the toughest part was actually trying to convince my 65-year-old mum that I had autism and she needed to provide some 
background on my childhood and I know that's quite a common theme and I think somebody was speaking on your podcast about getting um that information from her mother too so yes it's it's a struggle (laughs) um and she was very reluctant to provide information and I think she might have forgot that I was bullied for some time and that I had meltdowns so there wasn't really much to go on from her side but luckily my partner uh, managed to provide lots of like up-to-date information and then oh, that was very helpful I'm yeah sure. yeah so then the psychologist said yeah like based on everything you know you're autistic so so yeah <laughs> I knew it <laughs> and I was just went oh okay yep <laughs> because <laughs> so once you got that that validation because yeah. that was the word that you used yeah. you were looking for that validation mm-hmm. like I know for me it always takes a little while for it to sit with me yeah. and kind of percolate and then it sets mm. in so how did you respond to that because since that was something that you know you were really seeking yeah. and you had to really work for that oh so. yeah <laughs> so like it was a bit of a roller coaster so the diagnosis obviously wasn't a shock to me I took it pretty well And then I felt a massive sense of relief that I have something to label all of the trauma and the stuff that happened to me in the past. And I think having a formal diagnosis, particularly in the UK, it can help with employment. And um, I'm going to university next year, so it can help with supporting my studies. Um, So I knew that I will be getting support from the diagnosis now. Um, And then I felt a sense of pride. So I'm very proud of being autistic and being myself. And um, I became quite vocal on social media and I was joining your group and a couple of other groups and messaging people. And um, I even opened up a conversation in my workplace about autism because we have some autistic children. And I just didn't like some of the language that my colleagues were using to describe autistic students. So I sent a couple of resources on WhatsApp to them and opened up a conversation and um, I also discussed it at the gym as well with my trainers so I started to open up some conversations about autism um oh I love then, that Sophie yeah. I love it. and it was so funny because my friend Maisie and I had a conversation yeah. on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about you know sharing your autism identification mm. and we both said you know I think we all start with strangers because it's easier to just tell a complete and total stranger. Oh yeah. I found that out now. (laughs) Right. You sort of work up to the close relationships. Did you find that you did that too? Yeah. Um, I did. I came out to people just uh, on Instagram that I was following and I was like, Hey, I got my diagnosis and they were like, Oh, cool. And, and then I was like, I have to kind of tell colleagues now because I, they need to know. And so yeah but then after the initial high one morning I decided just for the cup of tea just to read through the report by myself and then after I read through it yeah (laughs) all of the bad things about what I was no what I was coping with kind of came out and all my deficits and all of the stuff that the psychologist said I could not do and after reading that, I just felt like I, I know I wasn't good enough or, you know, those kind of insecurities come about. But 
I know that's the type of language they have to use in the reports. It's not the psychologist telling me that I'm deficient in stuff. It's just the medical model and the language of that. And I've just accepted that. And I'm just proud. I'm just proud. That's it. <laughs> Sophie, I love that you bring that up. That was something that Julia and I talked about mm. in, in episode two. Yeah. That, yeah, and I love it because she's like, look, you have got to be really tough. You've got to be resilient. You, and, and as late identified, we are pretty darn gritty and resilient. Oh, yeah. And you have to have that because, you know, when you get a report on your child, it's not you you're reading about. It's your child. So there's yeah. a little bit of that disconnect. But when you read mm. that report about yourself mm. and all it's telling you are all the challenges and the struggles and the things that, you know, you can't do very well or the things that are going to be a hard challenge for you. It really does feel like somebody just let all the air out of your fun bubble. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it takes a minute, you know, you really do. Yeah. And I think that's what's so important about as late identified when we do have that opportunity to, to receive a diagnosis or an identification because sometimes that's needed. Not everybody does, but sometimes it's needed. Yeah. And when you do, because of the way it's structured and medicalized, it it is a negative bias in the sense that it doesn't tell you all the amazing things that because your brain is wired differently, you do better than anybody else. <laughs> and that's exactly. sort of part of what's so beautiful and what I really encourage in Mind Your Autistic Brain is for people to really take the time to notice and be appreciative of the amazing things that they can do and what they do better than everybody else and how they yeah. do it differently from other people. Cause that's really the special thing. And if we don't recognize, and if we're only talking about what's tough and we don't talk about also in balance, because there's gotta be a balance talking about the things that are really great because we do have those really great things, but yeah, we do have those other struggles. And, and they, they have to be talked about together, not yeah, one or the other. And I think they should change how the report is written. Hopefully one day <laughs> when I'm a psychologist myself more. and I can <laughs> rewrite it for us. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what we're counting on you to do. Future Dr. Sophie Longley. <laughs> okay, so what has been the best thing that you've learned about yourself as an autistic person? Okay, so I basically learned that I've had many strengths as an autistic person, and I'm going to use those strengths to help others. And so, as you mentioned, I've learned that I'm very resilient. Um, I was, I've been fired from three jobs. I've had to change careers quite drastically, <laughs> um, move countries quite quickly, and um, kind of manage depression and anxiety as well. And it's just made me more determined to just make sure that, um, you know, I help other autistic people and also that I don't experience that kind of trauma and struggle again. And um, I've also learned that uh, having autism doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life because I love traveling and different cultures. So obviously I moved <laughs> to Korea, I moved to South Korea and to Singapore and um it was four years ago quite uh, soon that I decided to move to Korea and um, to teach English there and 
despite not having my routine and different food and a new language, which could be quite off-putting to um, autistic people, it was the best experience of my life. And I did all of that while being undiagnosed <laughs> autistic. And I know a lot of neurotyp neurotypical people who probably would be too scared to do that. So I've kind of learned um, that I can do things outside my comfort zone and I can do the things that I, that I want to do. And, and the very last thing I've learned is that um, the things that went wrong in my life were not wrong because they were my fault. There was a reason behind it being wrong. And I blame myself for so many years for not being able to hold down a job for more than five months. I blame myself for being taken advantage of at school and being bullied and being bullied in the workplace. And I thought those things were the result of just my personality, but they were a result of my needs not being met as an autistic person. And I can just give myself a break now and like a pat on the back and um, for not being able to do things that some neurotypicals can do and for also being able to do things um, that I want to do. Yeah. I love that. And I love your adventurous spirit. I really do. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> so those have been the best things. Yeah. What's been some of the hardest things or the most challenging parts of your autism journey? Okay. So, um, I mean, I would have to say employment as the biggest challenge. Um, because in my early 20s, um, I was actually working in public relations and communications, which you might think is a bit of an odd job for an autistic person. But I was, working, <laughs> I was um, working in big corporate agencies in London, and it was a pretty uh, like daunting job to have. And I experienced a lot of trauma um, from being in an open plan office um, with colleagues who would take advantage of me and bully me and because they knew I was quite sensitive and I was a little bit different so they knew that they could easily manipulate me um, and one of the challenges were that um, I kept on being put on performance reviews at every single job there was something kind of wrong and I was under constant review and um, there was feedback that I had like attitude problems and my organization and my time management and I didn't like to socialize and I was thinking this is why is this happening in every job what, what why can't I hold down a job and um obviously I was undiagnosed at the time so they didn't know that I had autism and I didn't know so it was just like I must be rubbish at jobs and the more I tried to pass these really horrible performance reviews um I became just more burnt out more depressed and I just hated life and because you know I got fired because of that and it was just the most challenging thing and and I remember being called into the office by one of my bosses and he said you know how much money can I give you to leave this job because we want you out and I was oh, like wow I I don't understand like I'm here on time I I try hard I work overtime what's going wrong and I was just oblivious to to, to what was going wrong and that I mean I understand yeah and I was I think I was 23 so like just out of university and I was I, I didn't know what to do and I realized now that I was underperforming in their eyes because I couldn't match what neurotypicals were doing in the workplace like obviously my audio processing skills weren't as good because 
you know, I, I'm, I'm autistic. Um, and I just promised myself that I would never work in a corporate office again. Like, obviously, it doesn't play to my strengths as an autistic person. It just highlights all my weaknesses. So why put myself through that again? And as I, I spent the four years in Asia just reflecting on what I want from a career, and I know exactly the type of environment that I want to work in. I know that I want to help autistic people in employment. That's like the number one thing I want to do. And I want an employer who is aware of autism and someone who is open and who can work with me um, to create a career that I want and promise myself that this will never, ever happen again. I think that is incredible experience to have because you bring so much to the table to really open up that conversation yeah. and to share your experiences and because you've been through that and you've experienced what those roadblocks are you're able to take that and turn it around and go let's remove these and let's figure mm -hmm. out how we can make this a place where another 23 year old isn't being faced with how can we pay you to get you out of this job? I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, Sophie, yeah. that just makes my heart hurt. <laughs> and then there's another part of me that I'm like, well, buddy, I don't know that your paycheck and your checkbook's big enough. <laughs> you know, there's just sort of that really. Right. And like, I didn't know how to, I wasn't as feisty as I am now. So when I was, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just leave. But if I knew I, I was autistic, I, I would have done. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but if that happened, I'd take my bag. And <laughs> oh, I did all of that. It was horrible. But I think if I had a diagnosis, I would have been a bit more. Actually, how can you help me in the workplace? You're obliged to help uh, people with autism. How can you help? I, I wouldn't have took it so lightly. I think that's why it's important to be diagnosed as early as possible, like for us not to face that ever again. Yeah. And you know, it's yeah. one of the things that's really important. And um, Maisie Santantio from ASD Career Pathways. Oh, yeah, I, I, on the show I and we talked about this. One of the things that's really important for us as autistics in the workplace is to be able to communicate what what we need accommodations for and how we need them because every person's different. Yeah. Um, so to be able to communicate what it is for us and help educate and allow people to ask us questions. Because when you say, do you have any questions or you can ask me anything, I'm happy to answer. It really takes that, that pressure off for yeah. people to feel like they can't or they have to tiptoe around it. Because when somebody doesn't know something about a subject, they're usually not going to say anything. Yeah. That's just sort of the natural response for humans. It doesn't matter what your neuro typical neurodiverse, you're just kind of going to be quiet yeah. for the most part. And sometimes that can be perceived as someone not caring yeah. or not being interested. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to open up that discussion and go, hey, I have challenges um, with light and it fits really bright. So mm -hmm. I need to have just a particular task light and that works really well for me in my office, you know, and that type of thing. And so you can structure that out and say, do you have any questions for me? Or, you know, I need to be given all of my tasks at the beginning of the day and then and not be brought things as I'm working because mm -hmm. that really stresses me out and it, it stops what I'm doing and it, it causes a break in my workflow. Yeah. But what we can do and what would work, let's figure out how to do it together 
put in some break times where these are the appropriate times where I know I'm going to take a break. And if you've got something, this is a good time to add it where it's not going to stop my workflow and really stress me out. Yeah. I'm great. As long as somebody isn't stacking stuff on my desk. And that <laughs> That's just, one of my so pet peeves. Oh. <laughs> but I actually, um, because my colleague, one of my colleagues, she follows me on Instagram and she saw all of the autism posts I was posting she actually asked me in the workplace, you know, um, so are you autistic? And she said, you know, what's neurodivergence? I keep seeing it on your Instagram. And we had a really open conversation about it at work. And, and it was it was great. And she, I, she always asked me questions. And it's in such a nice, open and honest way. And I really appreciate that. And I wish I had that in my previous jobs. Um, but yeah, she's been great. So it's good to have at least That's one wonderful. ally at work. Yeah. It really changes things. It really it does. does. Yeah. Just to be, to have that knowledge about yourself and then to have enough knowledge in the vocabulary, because you have to get comfortable with who you are as an autistic person, how you mm. experience it in the world. And as you gain more language skills, because it's a particular vernacular that mm. we acquire when we talk about executive function and alexithymia and, you know, all of those things that are specific to us and be able to understand them and then be able to articulate and share that in some way. And that can be in, in lots of different ways because we all communicate differently. So it doesn't always have to be in, in, in spoken language, but written language. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to segue into about my lovely guest, Sophie. Sophie Longley is also a writer and has written some fantastic articles. And she has a special segment coming out in the holiday survival guide. She's written an article called Why Shopping Malls Hurt Me. And this is the perfect time of year because we all know crowds, people, lights, sensory overwhelm. And Sophie is sharing her insights and some wonderful things about shopping malls and how they hurt her. <laughs> we'll have that included in the holiday guide. Make sure you check it out. Sophie, final question. What is the one bit of information or a specific tip that you want to share with other autistics listening today to know as they are beginning their autism journey? Okay, so um, what I've learned is that we need to know what our needs are and to just um, be able to communicate them with people. And I think because we've been late diagnosed, we've probably had people tell us that our needs before were unreasonable or we were being difficult with our needs and we go along life masking and completely ignoring our needs. So I think now's the time to just find out what they are and embrace them. So if you want to spend two days by yourself researching your special interests, do it. <laughs> you shouldn't have to explain or to give an excuse and make that a non-negotiable priority for you. And I know that one of mine is making sure I go to the gym three days a week. So I'm actually um, intermediate level Muay Thai practitioner as well. So I do a bit of Muay Thai and boxing and and yoga so those types of things like I have to do and nothing gets in the way of them and another thing is that you know it's going to get harder to communicate your needs but it might be harder communicating them to the people that's closer to you but I think if they understood and they care about you then I think they'll be okay and as long as you explain why you need those things um, that they're important to you then um, that's all that matters yeah 
Sophie, those are beautiful, beautiful tips. I love them. And I think that that is so important to set up some of those non-negotiables. Yeah. I think that we spend so much of our lives giving away these little pieces because we have been told, you know, hey, you're not doing that right. Or you're not, you know, that's not the right way to do it. Or mm -hmm. you know, that's just not good enough. And we begin to set those things aside. And I think part of one of the wonderful parts of this journey, when you've become identified and you know your reason why and you understand yourself better is reclaiming those parts of ourselves that really matter, the things that are really bring joy to our lives and make those a non-negotiable. I love that. I think that's so wonderful. If you have loved this podcast and you have enjoyed listening and getting to know Sophie Longley, you can check her out on Instagram. She's SophLongley28, and I'll have that in the show notes below. And she also is a writer and has published articles on Medium, and I'll have a link to those below. And be sure you get a copy of the Mind Your Autistic Brain Holiday Survival Guide for Autistics to make sure you have got all of the tools and tips that you need this holiday season. Sophie, thank you so much for joining me today. Day. You oh, are a wonderful you. and lovely. <laughs> I have loved it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a wonderful Christmas holiday.